During this season of PodClast, we've had some amazing conversations with educators and experts about the connection to social and emotional learning, trauma, and how COVID has and will continue to shape education. I'm Laura Axtell, the host of PodClast, and today we have two guests who will add to those conversations. We'll hear from them in just a moment. PodClast is sponsored by Reading Horizons a foundational reading program based on the science of reading that can be delivered in person, virtually, and in a blended learning model with instructional software for students in kindergarten through 12th grade. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. Working with students, parents, and teachers over the course of the last year during the COVID pandemic has given many of us a unique perspective on the many challenges and sometimes unique opportunities that have arisen. That is exactly what our two guests discovered, particularly as it relates to college students and adults. Let's hear what they have to say. So I've got two guests on the episode today, Barbara and Donnell, and I'm going to start by having them introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about themselves and why they're so connected to this topic. So Barbara, can you go first? Yes, and thank you so much, Laura. It's always such a pleasure to be on a conversation with Donnell. So my name is Dr. Barbara Roscoe. I'm also known as Barbara Morelli, and I've got two children who have dyslexia out of four. I myself am dyslexic, but I think my true passion is because of our oldest son. So we started a nonprofit, a scholarship in his memory seven years ago, working with young adults, specifically high school and college students who struggle with dyslexia and reading and auditory comprehension. Great. And Donnell? Yes, thank you. This is my favorite group. I love these people. So this is fun for me and a topic that I am passionate about. So I'm Donnell Pons and I am many things. I guess, number one, I would say I am the wife of someone who has dyslexia. I'm the mother of two children who have dyslexia. I'm a reading tutor and instructor and sometimes just a a shoulder to cry on for people who struggle with reading. And that's a really big part of my day where I spend my time. And then a lot of the work that I do happens to deal with people who are older that have been missed through the system. So I have worked with younger students and there's a lot of work to be done there. And I always advocate in that space as well, that this older population, they cannot be forgotten because they've been forgotten their whole lives. And there's a lot that we can do to make their lives better. Thank you so much for being with us. We know that this has been a year that was unprecedented. That was particularly true for college freshmen. So let's start by talking about them. We know that a lot of our K-12 students, in some cases, they disconnected. In some cases, schools felt like they were more connected to families. They were certainly, in some cases, having a lot more interaction and things like that. But for college freshmen, their first year planning to often go away or to, you know, go from, you know, that very traditional high school into a college setting. And then what happens? They're not able to be a traditional college freshman So how do you think this last year has impacted those students who are scheduled to attend college for the first time? So our scholarship, our nonprofit, which is the Joseph James Morelli Legacy Foundation, has about 76 awardees. And each year we see about 200 applicants. So this year specifically, we saw those students. So a lot of our awardees from last year, 46 students who received our scholarship, Many of them were high school students 
moving into freshman year at college or university. And over this past year, a lot of the students reached out to us for various reasons. But I think the most heartbreaking one was when we received checks back. So several of our students, in fact, three out of the 46, we received the check back from the university or college because that student was no longer attending that institution in the spring. So that's roughly just shy of 10% of our small collective community of students. So I can imagine that it's actually much broader. But when we reached out to those students and we said, you know, we got the, the check returned, what's going on? How can we support you? There were several elements that came through. One was the availability to the professors, to the teaching assistants, and to the disability offices. So the disability offices on campus were generally closed. The students no longer had direct access to their professors, and they really found that the original college environment that they had hoped for was not what they envisioned. You know, they did not have the camaraderie. They were not able to even meet in small groups, meet with students. A lot of our students found themselves sort of shut in a, in a dorm room or an apartment, really not able to even go to class. And for this reason, they ended up leaving that environment, that college, and moved closer to home. The good news is two of us students who left the larger university did, in fact, re-enroll in a smaller institution that would be a, a, you know, a community college that was in their, their neighborhood. So that was a step in the right direction. They realized that they needed a smaller setting, more in-person classes, and they would also be closer to home. It would be less depressing for them to be isolated in an environment, not meeting anyone. So on so many levels, whether it was educational, social, mental, psychological, there were struggles for these students. And I know this hit close to home with you, Donnell, since you had a son in this situation. Yeah, I did. I was going to say I could have a composite of a student, but I'm just going to use my own personal experience. I had a son who this this was his transition through COVID and he has dyslexia. We had planned for having accommodations for college. We knew we'd have to do things in a different way and make sure it was well set up and planned for. And so early on, we set out to have some updated testing to make sure his accommodations were appropriate for college. And I made that appointment eight months in advance. COVID hits and there's no more in-person testing to get updated testing for accommodations for college. And so we were put on a wait list. We got wait listed. This would have been February before COVID hits. And we think, well, oh, maybe it's two months, maybe it's three months. We'll be back on board. And we didn't get that testing until the following December. And so we knew he would not be going in the fall, but already he had been in online classes in his high school and knew that if it was going to be online, I can't do it because it just did not go well. And what we found is that when we went online and went online for classes, a really interesting thing occurred. Rather than having more manageable reading and writing assignments, they were larger 
the reading mm-hmm. requirements almost doubled in a lot of cases, and the writing assignments almost doubled in cases. And then there was less opportunity to have discussion and dialogue to kind of understand the material, to digest it, to go through it. And there were fewer opportunities for that. Being able to find a space online where you felt comfortable enough to have that dialogue for a lot of students just didn't happen. And for my son, that was not a comfortable space. And so that pretty much put an end to doing college for that year. And so then it's trying to figure out, well, a year of my life is on hold. Now, what do I do? What do I do that's Mm -hmm. meaningful? And it was very difficult for not just my son, but looking at other students who were also facing the same challenge. You know, what what do you do with that time and space to feel like you're really moving forward, preparing, still making progress? And that was difficult and challenging. It's a tough space to be in, I think. Yeah. And I think the other thing, just as Donnell points out, you know, some of the accommodations that a lot of these students took for granted, we specifically asked on our application this year about the challenges that our students who are applying for the scholarship had encountered with COVID. And they were very forthcoming with Zoom being a challenge, being easily distracted, you know, having a computer with numerous faces on a screen, especially with students, you know, with comorbidities of ADHD, found it really difficult to focus. Also, note-taking, you know, here where you would be able to get notes from, you know, your neighbor sitting next to you or someone else in the class, everybody is, is virtual. How do you get the notes? And like Donnell said, just not being able to really feel engaged. I know a lot of our students questioned their majors, dropped out of classes, all because of that inability to be engaged and really feel as if they were moving forward. What about the students who are already in college then? It sounds like certainly it would be a challenge for brand new college students, but the students had already been used to being in a traditional college class. What were you hearing about the challenges they faced? I think, again, the isolation, you know, it was hard for that student coming into a college environment because you just didn't have the, the social interactions where you could meet new people and meet friends. I think students that struggled with anxiety or depression also had a much more difficult time. You know, again, just it's, it's not the norm. You know, they did not want or expect to continue their college, you know, in a in a tradi- what well, would have been a traditional college environment with social interactions in class education, and they're now working virtually. So I think it was hard. It was hard for everyone. And particularly for some of our reapplicants, they did say that this year was very, very, very depressing. Yeah. You know, I would add all of those things. I've heard the same as well. Something else that I think is interesting that we didn't really take into account, and I didn't see a whole lot of individuals taking into account, is the fact that there's a certain orientation that comes with just movement, physical movement, from a Monday to a Friday, getting in the car, driving to the campus, that orientation of being, of presence, that moves you through a day. That, like we say, individuals with neuro, who are neuroatypical, they rely on that to help them just mm-hmm. kind of organize themselves to be able to move through the events of the day. And that wasn't there. So everything became very one-dimensional. It became hard to know what day it was, what time it was, how long a class was going to be, because all of those markers for being able to mark your time and space were gone. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think yeah. that was something we hadn't really thought about and how to help students do that. The other thing is, is reading online is different from reading in a book. So it was said that, oh, well, the, the reading's all online. That should be so much easier. It's available online. You can just have it audio, whatever. But orientation to the page, being able to find your place within that, or, that page to be able to go back and draw on that information, very difficult to do if it's just streaming online with no beginning, no end, no page one to page 10 to again, orient yourself. So I, I saw that time and time again, cropping up for students who are in this virtual world that didn't have the orientation to it that they did in the day-to-day lives. It's interesting. Well, I'm interested in something Barbara said though about students with anxiety and depression and things like that. Wasn't being online or couldn't being online be helpful for some students who no longer had to navigate that social concern around, you know, going to class, being with a professor, students with medical needs, those kinds of things. Is there any silver lining to this for them? You know, I think you you hit upon it a little bit before, and I think Donnell, you know, alluded to it, that for some students, yes, being able to schedule classes that were flexible if they had other requirements, jobs, training schedules, athletes, things like that. I think being virtual helped a lot. But again, if you think about the excitement and how a student grows during college, yes, it's the education, but it's also living on your own, being self-sufficient, managing for yourself, you know, and it's all the executive functioning skills that you learn and developed in that sort of protected environment, right? Because you're in real world, but you're not in real world. And I think there, students that struggle with executive functioning, they now don't have a set schedule. To Donnell's point, they don't have to get in the car and drive to the class or get up in the morning you know, go to the dining hall with their classmates, go to the classroom. And it's, I think more students probably struggled than benefited. Yeah. In fact, uh, Barbara, I'm going to agree with you there too. I had some students who, like Barbara said, were thrilled because they were full-time working and this allowed them to take classes. Maybe they couldn't squeeze in a day. So they were thrilled. That worked for some. And then I even had some students who hadn't had any challenges or difficulties with learning before. But once they moved to the online environment, they suddenly had challenges, again, because they just couldn't get oriented in that online space. And they didn't have any prior challenges, which was interesting. And then Mm -hmm. also I had some students that that same sense of you'd think that this would be easier rather than having to walk into a classroom of people you don't know. But it's so much harder for a student. They said walking onto that flat space where you couldn't really see a look on somebody's face to see whether or not they were inviting or engaging was really hard and difficult. And they found that each day, even trying to just log on and have their face come up in the group of faces of students, they found the anxiety just growing. And I thought that was really interesting, too. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a moment. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a phonics-based reading curriculum that combines professional learning, direct instruction materials, and technology tools to empower teachers to implement the principles of reading science in the classroom. Here's a short customer success story from Jennifer, a Reading Horizons customer in Utah. I've been a Reading Horizons teacher for about the last seven years, and I learned so much through this experience and realized what a complete, phenomenal phonics program Reading Horizons truly is. Reading Horizons is engaging, hands-on, motivating, and instructionally sound. 
Assessments are simple yet valuable, and students learn through spiral review everything they need to know about phonics, decoding, and reading and spelling rules throughout the program. I love that even at such a young age, my kindergartners leave my classroom successfully reading and ready for first grade because of the things they have learned. I have used many phonics programs in my multiple years of teaching. However, I have never found one as complete, motivating, and successful for each of my students as Reading Horizons. I highly recommend it to any elementary teacher. Visit ReadingHorizons.com to learn more. Let's talk about adults for a minute, and then we can kind of circle back around. So, Donnell, I know that you work a lot in adult education and adult literacy programs. Talk a little bit about that population. Yeah, so this was interesting. I mean, we've talked about college students and the challenges they've had, and even that K through 12 space. But I work with adults who are in the workplace who have come back to literacy, wanting to learn how to read and write better. And a lot of those students, when we finally were able to get together on Zoom and figure that all out, because there's a lot of computer literacy that was needed that adults didn't have. A lot of adults, individuals had just avoided that. If they had literacy challenges, they didn't really need to be involved with online learning at all. And that was new for them. So once they were finally able to get on to that, we started having conversations and discussion. And there were a lot of traumatic experiences that were happening in those early days of COVID for adults who have learning differences. When they would approach their, say, a store they'd always been shopping in to go shopping in, there was now this giant sign with a lot of small writing on it that now dictated how you walked through the store. And they couldn't get past the first line, let alone all those bullet points. And so they would walk into the store and immediately be accosted by someone who would say, hey, look, you're not going the right direction. You're not doing this. And they fled. They literally turned around, walked out of the store and didn't want to go back. I mean, we didn't even think about those traumatic experiences that could be happening for for individuals as adults who had learning differences and how they were trying to navigate this new space. It was very challenging. Mm -hmm. And what about the students who have been able to maybe interact uh, once they weren't able to navigate that component, Zoom or whatever, did they find any benefit to being able to not have to drive and leave home or after a day of work and still be able to, in you know, engage in some of that tutoring or, you know, literacy support that they've needed but couldn't previously participate in? Yes. And in fact, I'm glad you brought that up because equally, once we found our way onto the online space, figured out how to do Zoom, and a lot of it was was set up so nicely that you could do it with little explanation, be able to figure this out, get comfortable in that space. The adult learners, because they didn't have to drive, because I was having to have uh, literacy classes during lunch hours or find a space after double shifts when you're pulling in between a shift in the evening, I would go in and find a space to do literacy. Rather, I found a lot of individuals able to come to the online space because it was so much easier mm-hmm. and be able to have a class and engage in adult literacy for the first time. It's been fantastic. And in fact, the numbers of people joining classes got to be so great. We had to add more tutors to a particular location because we had more individuals engaging in it. And our numbers for individuals who got into the literacy class and stayed, we had 100% stay. So we didn't have anybody leaving the class, which is unheard of in adult literacy locations, just because of how difficult it is when you're an adult. So that really was, in the end, a great boon for individuals who are looking to improve their literacy skills as adults. And I'm hoping, like I said before, that we can learn from those pieces that were very positive and keep those going forward. And, you know, it reminds me, Donnell, because we did something similar with our students. So we saw 
our students struggling and started to put together a mentor mentoring program under the umbrella of Jake Sussman, who is known for the forgotten child and does a lot of mentoring and tutoring. And we initially thought we needed Utah students, you know, next door and from the same university as their mentoring Utah student. And suddenly we realized that we could actually match up mentor and mentees around the country based on shared experiences and shared needs because of Zoom. And suddenly you had this ability to really meet and interact and support each other almost globally, although we weren't global, we're national, but you had that ability because of this online capabilities, which really also said to us, wow, we thought about doing an event where we put students in the same room, but now we could actually bring students around the country, young adults struggling with dyslexia, struggling to move into college, go through that transition from high school to college, they can now be mentored by the more senior seasoned seniors at college, and it could all be virtual. And you can have this really sort of great group of brainstorming and support because of what the last year has presented to us. So that is one benefit. So looking ahead, are there things that you're able to take, both of you, from what you've learned this year in a not so idyllic situation that you can transfer to the future? Yes. In fact, um, I'm so glad I have this opportunity to, to kind of talk about, highlight a couple of individuals who prior to COVID had wanted, I have one that's an older individual, successful business person in his 50s, already, you know, earned his, his money. He's been very successful that way. But reading has always eluded him. And he has dyslexia. He knows he has dyslexia. He's one of the few that I've met of adults who did know he has dyslexia. His parents spent a great deal of time and money trying to help him with literacy, never did get the correct help for him. So instead, they just found ways to take his skill set and really promote it. And he's been successful with it. But the reading has always bothered him. He's wanted to be a reader. Mm -hmm. And prior to COVID, he wanted to start having classes and lessons, but it was difficult, obviously difficult to get together. His life and schedule are very busy. COVID hits and one of those silver linings, he said, I've got the time, I'm going to do it. He dedicated. And so he's been coming regularly, having lessons. And it's so interesting to watch him just, this is an individual in his 50s who's been successful. And I would say he has just blossomed like an individual in their teens. There are aspects of his personality that he has never even tapped into before because they were attached to literacy. They were attached Mm -hmm. to being a reader and they were attached to being thought of as a reader. And in fact, one of the things he said to me just recently and his family, I know some of his family members and they've come to me and said, he is a different person. And, you know, that's the story I really want to put out there is it's never too late. And you can actually change a life, right, in so many ways. And this is an individual who, yes, he has lived a fulfilling life and would have been just fine. But now he's got this whole aspect of his personality and life he never even knew was possible. And one of the things that he said to me was he had cleaned his office one day. It was something he never did. He said, I have this office. I have things everywhere. I've never wanted to organize it because that requires a great deal of literacy. Well, he started one day and he organized 
organized his entire office. And he said, I, it was actually pretty easy and I enjoyed it. He got everything filed and put away. And there was a, desk, a book left on his desk. And it was a book his dad, who was a successful businessman, had given him. And the book was How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he said, I'd never read it. And his father passed away a good 20 plus years ago. And he said, I've never read the book. And I've always felt badly about that because I love my dad. I thought my dad was a great person. And so he said, I picked up the book. It was early afternoon. And I picked up the book and I started reading. And he said, the next thing I know, I look outside and the sun is setting. It's getting dark. And I hadn't even realized I'd been reading that entire time. He said, you have no idea what that means to me to have that happen. Yeah. How's that for a COVID story? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, one of our mentor and mentees, he was a young boy at uh, UVU that was really, really struggling, very similar to Donnell's son, needed to get retested. They couldn't access the the neuropsych evaluation in in a timely and orderly or efficient manner. Finally got the testing. He's struggling with math, can't find tutors. And it turns out that there's a mentor at UVU who's also one of our awardees, who is a senior at UVU and happens to be a math tutor. So we put the two of them in touch. They hit it off immediately. They both actually have dyslexia and Erlen's. The younger freshman's math grades over the course of a semester actually went up a full grade level because of that mentor-mentee relationship. And they got along so well that they actually ended up starting a company together. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's really, really cool. So I guess that goes to say that there are so many things that were unpredictable, but in the midst of that unpredictability, some other things happened that couldn't have been planned for or even really thought about, right? Yes, yes. I guess that leads me to the next topic, which is flexibility. So now that we have all these options, what does that mean for the future for K-12 students, for college students, for adults who now have some choices because things can be offered in multiple ways. So, Laura, that would be my thing is I I think we ought to have all of these options available. I do. I think that if a student, if it works to be able to pull a student out for a little bit to receive their tutoring and then be able to do some online classes, that that ought to be made available. Because I had some students kind of mixing it up with their schedule, some on site, a little bit online, being able to do their reading tutoring during the day so they weren't so tired at the end of the day. And that worked for a student. I think that we found that flexibility worked. A lot of this rigid scheduling that we had before where, oh, so we simply don't do that. You know, you have to be uh-huh. here for a period of time. I think we found that we didn't really need to because we didn't have the option. We found a way to do it and it worked for a lot of students in a different way. And so I would hope to see that we would keep a lot of that ability to be flexible about things so that we meet the needs of the student. Because yeah. when we put that first and had that as the core, that really seems to work when you think of the student, what their needs are. And I think that's your, you're absolutely right, Donnell. You know, I, like we always said that we were always trying to teach students with learning challenges, you know, within a standard classroom and teach them via one method. And I think what this has opened up is that there are so many methods and different ways to teach. And obviously some students do better in different circumstances. And I think everyone should learn in an environment that really helps them draw on their strengths, whatever that is, whether it's the flexibility, whether it's, you know, getting a tutor or a mentor, 
you know, from across the country. You know, it doesn't need to be in their same city. You know, I think we've just really expanded what really is possible. But hopefully, I, I don't think we're ever going to go back to exactly the way it was. We can't. You know, there's we've come a long way. We've learned too much, good and bad. Um, but it's really, it's, yeah, it's literally opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of different issues and things that, um, that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. I, I guess I want to close by kind of coming all the way back around because the focus is on all of these certainly academic and educational issues, but also the social emotional impact. And both of you in different ways have identified that relationships and the support among people that you've been working with has been a key factor. So for example, Donnell, I know that you mentioned many of your adults kind of use the classes or their group online as a support group, talking about the challenges with their own students and trying to help them navigate and then for themselves. And Barbara, I know with your college students, really trying to help, you know, now set up mentoring programs and things like that. So could you both speak a little bit about the importance of regardless of what happens academically, that there's another issue as well. And that is really that the social and emotional connection. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've mentioned several times, there's a book called The Culture Code. It's one that I thoroughly enjoy. If anybody wants to to read it, I highly recommend it. But in that book, there's a statement in there that really stuck out to me. There's a lot of really good information, but the statement in there was from someone who studies social psychology at Harvard. And she had done a study and, and come to the conclusion that our human nature is to be very protective of ourselves. And it's not natural for us to go into environments where we don't feel comfortable or we're not aware of the, the situation. And so she said, you have to really go out of your way a lot to make people comfortable in a situation. And that really stuck with me going through this COVID year when we moved people out of places that maybe weren't their favorite, but they were comfortable. They knew what it was, even if it didn't work really well for them, and move them into spaces that were really unfamiliar and unusual, and what that looked like. And depending on your personality and how well you could adapt to that situation, I think is what we saw some adapting really well, and some other other students having difficulty. And so that reminded me that you can never do enough to make people comfortable with whatever situation they're in. So when my adult students came to that Zoom classroom, we had to do a lot to make sure everybody felt comfortable. I made sure that I grouped the classes with individuals that would feel comfortable with each other and could best support each other. And I was working with individuals who were not only English as their only and primary language in the United States, but I was also working with international students. So I have a, a base of students in workplace literacy that are around the world. And sometimes I would mix my classes up with students who were English only but had struggled for so many years that I would put them in classes with students who were learning English and they felt comfortable kind of leading out for those students. So it was being mindful of the individual needs Mm -hmm. of my students again and not just throwing everybody into one situation and assuming everybody's going to be fine with it. We have to remember that fair is not equal. That is a phrase that I, I use a lot, but it's so true. Fair is not equal. What one person needs may not be equal to what somebody needs at that particular time, but it's fair and it's right for them to receive it. Likewise, if I move a student to a different setting, maybe that student who needed something else in another setting doesn't need it here in this other setting, but another student may. So what's now fair is not equal in that setting. And so we have to remember that in our conversations about equity, that it's not everybody gets the same thing at the same time. It's what does that individual need for it to be fair for them in that situation and to truly be equitable. 
And I think, you know, Donna, you remind me of something too, that even we sometimes take for granted is that, or assume that everyone is going to feel comfortable speaking onto or into a monitor. You know, one of those things I think you brought up early on was about just the comfort of being on a Zoom call and having all these faces. And one of our students, one of our awardees is a mentee who struggles with autism and social, you know, cues and and social comfort. And for the first, you know, few Zoom meetings, he did not feel comfortable showing his face. But as he got more comfortable, we saw it as a huge breakthrough that he would open up and put his camera on. So we can't immediately assume that everyone is going to speak, that everyone's going to put their camera on. And I think you brought it up, you know, beautifully, Donnell, that people can be stressed about turning that camera on. And even in a classroom, you know, some people like to sit in the front of the room in a room with a thousand people. And some people, some students just don't do well in that type of environment. They need, you know, five to 10 people in a classroom. And um, so everybody is in a, in a different environment learning differently. And you're right, it is that diversity, comfort, keeping everybody equal. But I like that. It's, it's fair. Yeah, it's not always equal. So if you could think into the future, what is one thing that this year has really taught you personally about working with your population that will help you and your students? One of the things, Laura, that I'm really hoping for that we don't lose is just what we've been talking about is that potential to really expand our connection Mm -hmm. and connectedness with other parts of not just the country, but the world. I think we've yet to do that. We saw it opening up within our own states and communities, schools sharing amongst schools, perhaps even, and then state across state. But boy, I'd really love to see us even country to country. And I don't think we've done all that we could possibly do with that. I'd also like to see us having our students out in the environment outdoors more and exploring in the outdoors and then bringing that back. Having students step out to uh, write a writing project. That was one I had one of my students that I was working with who was stuck trying to write a paper, had them go outside. Let's just step outside because we can and let's take a breath. Let's look at the environment. Let's get take a new perspective. And that was something that student was like, whoa, I, I would never be able to do this in another setting. I'd be at my desk having to sit. And that's not always the most productive thing to do when you're trying to write. And just being able to explore those other ways of learning. Boy, I hope this is just the tip of the iceberg and that by next year, we're having even greater conversations about what we've learned. Yeah, I agree, Donnell. I think it's that connectivity. You know, it's having that ability to really reach out to individuals. And I know, again, for our for our scholarship awardees, it's having that dialogue, that mentor-mentee but it's pulling those children together. So, so often our awardees feel like they're the only ones. They're isolated. You know, no one else suffers or no one has had the challenges like they have had. And then suddenly you put them in touch with another student with a similar background, similar challenge, similar college experience. And they go, wow, I'm not, you know, I'm not alone anymore. Well, having the Zoom connection, that person can be anywhere. And I just was thinking in this country, but really anywhere globally. And I think that, wow, I'm not alone. Someone else shares my same struggles is, is huge in building that self-awareness and self-confidence and strength and endurance. 
you know, to continue. But yeah, it's that connectivity. Yeah. I always thought it had to be in the same room and it doesn't. Like us now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I hear both of you saying is, and what you'll take away is just the possibilities that we are no longer limited by things that we thought limited us. So I am so excited that you've been able to share from so many perspectives how this has impacted people, but also what we can take away that will be beneficial for them, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this important topic. Thank you. Laura, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donnell. Always a pleasure to speak with you both. A big thank you to Barbara and Donnell for sharing their experiences and for their insight about the possibilities moving forward. As we close, we want to give a final thank you to our sponsor, Reading Horizons, and to all of you for listening. Help spread the word about PodClast by sharing a link to your favorite episode on any social platform or review PodClast on Apple Podcasts. Join us on the next episode for a discussion of some of the most relevant educational research and the implications for teaching and learning. Until then.